0: gathered in love and service for justice and peace. These words this morning are offered as a taste of what is to come. This summer, from late June through August, Arlington Street Church will be host to a series of guest preachers each Sunday. They have been invited to speak on a set of themes, beginning with pilgrimage, Continuing through transformation and returning to home. To hear how it all turns out, you'll have to come and experience those summer services yourselves. But this morning, I am here to provide a sampling of the first of our summer themes pilgrimage. If you find you're still hungry after this morning's meal, I hope that you'll come back to the table for seconds. Travel by car can be a perilous thing, however, wherever, and by whomever it is done. When I was growing up, my family made a trip by car every December to visit my grandfather, my uncles, my aunt, and my cousins. The two-day drive from New York State to Illinois took us right through the snow belt of the United States, the area south and east of the Great Lakes. Driving west meant that we would often drive into a storm as we crossed from New York into Ohio. Every few years, we would hit one so bad that we had to pull over and just wait by the side of the road, hoping for the worst of the snow to break over us so that we could pass on to a place to sleep. We were lucky. The storm always broke. There are other perils of travel by car, of course. Humorist Dave Barry tells a story of a week spent traveling through Germany in a small, crowded vehicle. He and his companions found that they kept losing their way and winding up on different streets with the same name. No matter what city they were traveling in. It had become something of a running joke among them, this recurring street that was never listed on the map, when near the end of their trip, they found out that what they'd taken for a popular German street name, Einbundstrasse, actually meant one-way street. (laughs) Just like driving in winter, it is easiest for the traveler when they have prepared for the journey. Now the season of the spring has come, even to this little corner of North America. And so for many, thoughts turn to travel, by plane, by train, by automobile, by any other means. In some cases, there are concrete things that might call us to the road, commitments to family and friends, the demands of school and work, and other opportunities that are specific to places other than where we are right now. But there is also a strong pull, particularly in the late spring and summer, simply to travel for the sake of traveling. Factors as blunt as advertisements for tropical cruises and as subtle as the perennial school essay topic, What I Did on My Summer Vacation create a certain social pressure to leave the dull routine of home wherever home is in order to experience the exotic newness of somewhere, anywhere else. I happened on an illustration of this pressure in the French film We Need a Vacation, a movie about Lucien and Adama, two schoolchildren living in a Paris suburb Surrounded by advertising for the vacations that their families cannot afford to take, Lucien and Adama stow away in a trailer leaving their city in order to experience the dream of being somewhere, anywhere but home. They leave behind their families and survive by petty crime in order to participate in the mass exodus of vacationing professionals from their home city of Paris a place that millions of tourists travel far and wide in order to reach each year. Of course, not everyone travels so long and so far, and not everyone feels that call to escape. These are the words of poet and philosopher Wendell Berry in describing the wilds of his chosen home. I part the outthrusting branches and come in beneath the blessed and the blessing trees. Though I am silent, there is singing around me. Though I am dark, there is vision around me. Though I am heavy, there is flight around me. It is rare, increasingly rare in the 21st century to want to stay put. To carry a sense that what is needed most can be found just exactly where you are, as Wendell Berry's words describe. As the demands of life in a global economy urge and force people to leave familiar places and cross borders to find work and to simply survive, it is the ability to leave and then come back again that remains the great luxury. And on that return, the tourist experience is often described by what has been collected on the trip. What photographs, what souvenirs, what memories, what experiences. In his essay, Overcoming Tourism, Peter Lamborn Wilson offers an alternative to this practice of travel as escape from the mundane and familiar to the exotic and the unusual. There is already a perfectly good and impossibly old alternative to tourism, he argues. It is called pilgrimage. The experience of the pilgrimage is what Wendell Berry's poem described. Traveling across continents or crossing out the threshold of their own back door, the pilgrim's journey is shaped by the sense of meaning they receive from the forest, the city, or the shrine. Wilson uses the Arabic word barakah, meaning blessing, as he writes. The shrine produces barakah, and the pilgrim takes it away. But blessing is a product of the imagination, and thus no matter how many pilgrims take it away, there's always more. In fact, the more they take, the more blessing the shrine can produce. Spiritual goods do not follow the rules of supply and demand like material goods. The more demand for spiritual goods, the more supply. The production of barakah is infinite. What is required for human beings to travel as pilgrims rather than as tourists has nothing to do with how far they go, how famously holy their destination may be the stance of the pilgrim can be adopted without leaving the home. When Rabia, a Muslim saint of Basra, was called out of her home to witness the wonders of God's creation, she replied, Come into the house and see them. The practice of pilgrimage begins with the transition from paying attention to giving attention. An example... In the tradition of the long family car ride, there is a single ritual phrase repeated again and again like a mystic formula to speed the passage of time. That phrase, of course, is, are we there yet? Like many other frustrating questions exchanged between parents and children, asking are we there yet implies the answer. Of course not. The question comes from boredom, it says, I cannot pay attention to the journey. The journey isn't worth my time. I am saving my precious attention for when we get to where we are going. Though we might outgrow the practice of annoying the driver, perhaps by becoming the driver, the sentiment is no less common in adulthood. Instead of, are we there yet, about some specific literal journey, we may find ourselves asking, aren't we there yet? About some specific general issue. Haven't we been talking about this issue long enough for it to fix itself? Isn't the rainforest saved by now? Isn't the war over yet? If attention is something to be paid, then it is a resource to be hoarded and protected, rationed out sparingly when and where we need or want it most. But if we can practice giving attention as a gift, sharing our mindfulness with the world as a blessing, then we will be on the pilgrim's path. I do not mean that it will be easy. Instead, I promise that it will be hard in the way that worthwhile things usually are. Two years ago, my partner Sarah and I spent a part of our summer in Mexico studying Spanish and staying in the house of a local family. We stayed there long enough for the well-established routine of our life in California to be replaced in my mind and my body memory with the new patterns of life in La Ciudad de Cuernavaca. Each morning, I would get up before the sun had risen and walk down the stairs in the dark to fill a pitcher with filtered water so that we could brush our teeth. It was a simple, persistent reminder of the distance between myself and my hosts, more than the language barrier which I was working so slowly and frustratingly to reach past. More than the cultural disorientation of living outside the United States, I could not even drink the tap water for fear of unhappy intestinal consequences. I kept working and wondering when I would arrive, when I would speak enough Spanish or feel sufficiently at ease to know that I was there. Near the end of our time in Mexico, We visited T'Postlan, a town famous for the pre-Columbian temple that overlooks it, the spiritual seekers who have made it an international gathering point, and the popular ice cream franchise that originated there. To reach the pyramid, I had to climb the craggy green mountain that looms over the town, following its main street up the slope until it turned into a twisting, uneven trail of tree roots, stream beds, and the occasional stone step. Each step demanded a careful eye for where the foot might be placed next. And I grew impatient with the monotonous intentionality of the walk. Step after step after step. Just before the overlook, the incline grew so steep that we had to climb a metal grate like a ladder. Up through a narrow gap that's closed to seal off the area at night. The pyramid and the area around it swarmed with groups of large, long tailed badgers, fed from the vendors who carried everything they sold up the mountain and back down again each day. I stood on the roof of that pyramid and looked out over the state of Morelos the, into the heart of Mexico. This is not the story of some singular, transcendent experience that I had there, atop a temple not used for worship in hundreds of years. I looked out into a beautiful sky, over a beautiful earth, and then I walked back to the bottom of the pyramid, down through the metal cutout and the metal grate. I stopped at the bottom to watch a family with two small children, climbed their way up. They made the climb fine on their own without my help, and then I walked back down the mountain. My path to Tepos was shaped by an anxious waiting, a hunger to reach the destination and accomplish the purpose of the journey. My return gave me the gift of a more abundant sense of attention. The descent was not any easier than the upward trek but it gave me the chance to watch the many people flowing past me in both directions. They were local and foreign, Australian and German, Canadian, USer and Lebanese. Having reached the peak, I enjoyed the slope for the first time and the chance to make the journey with so many other people on this well-traveled route. I stopped asking myself when I would arrive in Mexico and started being in Mexico. Like the winter storms of my childhood, Postlan pulled me out of my sense of urgency and made me watch, made me sit and just be. Wherever you may travel, however far or however near, I wish for you at least as much as the mountain gave to me, a chance to slow down and let the blessing of the journey catch up with you and to return its gift in reverence.